It's October 14, 1976, and the Kingdom of Tonga, an archipelago of 169 islands in the Pacific Ocean. Deborah Gardner, a 23-year-old American Peace Corps volunteer, is heard screaming from her room by a local boy. He runs in to see a tall westerner dragging her body out through the doorway, but then drops her body and makes a getaway on a bicycle. There hasn't been a murder in Tonga for years. Will justice be served? Find out tonight. Grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. I'm your host Cambo and this is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. So tonight we go to the Paradise Islands of Tonga, way back in the 70s. Tonga is basically a group of islands in the Pacific Ocean and it's a kingdom so it has a king. The main island, Tonga Tapu, is protected by lagoons and limestone cliffs. It's home to the rural capital of Nuku'alofa as well as beach resorts. It has a population of around 100,000 people. The American Peace Corps was stationed there during the 70s. The Peace Corps, according to Wiki, is a volunteer program run by the United States government. The stated mission of the Peace Corps includes providing technical assistance, helping people outside the United States to understand American culture, and helping Americans to understand the cultures of other countries. The work is generally related to social and economic development. Each program participant, a Peace Corps volunteer, is an American citizen, typically with a college degree, who works abroad for a period of two years after three months training. Volunteers work with governments, schools, non-profit organisations, non-government organisations and entrepreneurs in education, business, information technology, agriculture and the environment. After 24 months of service, volunteers can request an extension of service. So in 1974, an almost hippie 23-year-old Emil Hans is lured by the exciting prospect of going overseas as part of the American Peace Corps and would be chosen to go to Tonga. He taught pottery and jewellery making at Pepperdine University but didn't see his future there. In Tonga, he would meet up with a guy called Dennis Priven, who was described as a 24-year-old brooding maths whiz from Brooklyn with a serious soul, intelligent, sarcastic, muscular, romantically oafish, who went around with a serrated diving knife on his belt. Emil and Dennis would strike up a strong friendship while on their two-year tour of Tonga. They would go on hikes together, drink, and socialise together. One thing stood out in Emile's mind was that Priven was a formidable poker player. He had a truly poker face and could use his maths genius to count cards and generally know what hands people were holding. He took great pleasure in winning and would generally rub it in when he did. So in Australian terms, we were called Priven and up himself prick. Anyway, I must go on. 
From here, the hippie-like laid-back Emil Hans still liked hanging out with Priven, and they did get along pretty well. Then, just after they were in their second year of their two-year tour of Tonga, this gorgeous, open-natured, recent graduate of Washington State University, Deborah Gardner, turned up to start her two-year tour for the Peace Corps. She was assigned to teach science and home economics to high school students in Nuku'alofa, the capital city of Tonga. Deborah immediately fitted in with not only her fellow Peace Corps volunteers, but with the locals. She would talk to anyone, and with not only her outer beauty, but her inner beauty as well, there were many that had a crush on her. Of course, the narcissistic Priven had his eye on her, and he would soon make it known to her. Although Deborah made it known that she did not want anything more than a friendship with Priven, he was not put off by that and wouldn't give up that easily. Which, I guess at this stage you would think that, okay, maybe she's playing hard to get, and you may think if you play your cards right, she would end up liking you enough to form a relationship. Priven liked playing cards, and he liked to win. Every time. Somehow, Deborah accepts a meal invitation with Priven. Priven spends quite a bit of money buying her an expensive gift and cooking a lavish meal. With candles lit, Deborah turns up and is taken aback. She feels incredibly awkward and makes an excuse to leave. So now this is where things start to get dark with Priven. He was often seen outside the school at which Deborah was teaching, hoping to bump into her at the end of the day. In fact, he would make almost any excuse to be near her or interact with her. Deborah felt uneasy at this type of attention, even going to the extent of asking for a transfer to another island, and she hides when Priven is around. Nowadays, we would know it as stalking, but back in 1976, stalking wasn't seen in the same light as we view it today. Deborah still kept on living the life she had been since being on the island, attending Peace Corps parties and the like, and was known to be friendly with a few of the Peace Corps guys. She was at the time getting very friendly with Priven's mate, Emil Hans, the hippie guy. Look, from what I've read, Emil and Deborah were truly becoming an item, but at the time their relationship was not out in the open. There may have been rules at the Peace Corps that frowned upon this kind of behaviour, or they just didn't want it to be well known. One thing for sure, Priven was really starting to act weird towards the end of his two-year term and he unsuccessfully applied to have his tour extended for a year. Anyway, Priven, when he's with Emil, constantly talks about Deborah and how he wants to be with her. Emil tries to talk him down from that, but Priven dismisses Emil and continues with his infatuation. There is one account of Priven sneaking into the hut of a female fellow Peace Corps volunteer while she slept 
and he used his razor-sharp diving knife to cut a chunk out of her hair. She awoke to strands of her hair falling down her face and it scared the shit out of her. She knew it could only be Priven. Only Priven could have been the perp as he'd recently shown her the knife and had cut himself until he bled to prove to her how sharp it was. She knew he was a crazy prick and that no one else would do such a freaky thing. Then one night there's a big piss up for the Peace Corps and everyone gets drunk and has a good time. At the end of the night, Emile and Deborah go back to her hut very drunk and this is witnessed by Priven. He was incensed that the hippie guy had got the girl and that he'd been knocked back. This really gave Priven the shits. How the fuck could the hippie guy with the scraggly beard be more attractive than the highly intelligent sexy man that he was? I'll just put a comment in here if that's okay, Islanders. This is to Priven. Emil was a kind, friendly guy that made her laugh and feel comfortable. You, on the other hand, were a narcissistic asshole that loved no one but themselves and bored the shit of her. Oh, and gave gave her the fucking creeps. Okay, let's get back to the story. So Priven has just seen the girl he was infatuated by go off with his best mate into her hut and probably had a bit of fun while they were there. Priven, being the asswipe that he was, steps up his stalking of Deborah, and so Emile keeps a close eye on her whenever he can. However... One night, Emile is out watching a movie with friends when on the jungle vine, he's alerted to an incident at Deborah's hut. He races to her hut and he's shocked when he sees the walls and floor covered in blood. Bloody handprints down the walls and Deborah's not there. But Emile is told she's on the way to hospital. Emil races to the hospital as fast as he can. It's only a few miles, but he pedals his bike as quickly as possible, confused and in shock, not having any clue whatsoever what had happened to his friend. Even though it took minutes for him to get to the hospital, Deborah was dead. She had 22 stab wounds in her back and neck. She had blunt trauma to the back of her head. She died from a massive blood loss. Imagine how you'd feel. Tonga was such a friendly place and the locals had come to love them and welcome the Peace Corps into the country. Deborah had been such an open and loving person that had won the hearts of the people with a smile and hard work teaching their children. Who could have done this? Police quickly ruled out any local for being a suspect. There hadn't been a murder in Tonga for nearly a decade. At the crime scene, there was a bloodied metal pipe, a sandal and a bloodied diving knife. The local boy who had raised the alarm told police that he heard a scream from Deborah's hut and when he went to see what was happening... He saw a, saw a tall Westerner dragging Deborah out the front door. The Westerner looked up and saw him, 
dropped the girl and took off on a push bike. The driver that had taken Deborah to the hospital told police that Deborah was able to tell him the killer's name and she had told him Dennis Priven. Emil pretty much knew that Priven could be involved so he went looking for him in his hut. Priven wasn't there but what he did find was a bottle of a bottle of pills with several spilled out onto the floor. Emil gathered together a few fellow Peace Corps volunteers and started a search for Priven. How's this? Emil has his girlfriend hacked up and murdered. The prime suspect has to be Priven and yet he is worried he may have harmed himself so he goes out looking for him. What the fucking fuck? Anyway, Emil goes to a lookout on a cliff near the beach where he loved to hang out thinking maybe he might go there and jump off the cliff. When Emil gets there, he can't find Priven. He looks over the edge and into the darkness, he can't really see anything, let alone Priven's body. Then they are alerted by locals to go to the police station. Priven has turned up and handed himself in. He has cut his wrists and is covered in blood. He is shaking and tells police he has taken an overdose. He receives medical attention and is handcuffed. Police ask him questions, and he sits there silent. Eventually he motions for a pencil and paper. He writes, I have nothing to say. So Emil goes to the police station to confront Priven. He stands there in his cell and just asks, why? Priven looks at him and just says, It proves I'm insane. I mean, what the fuck? Insane? More like a fucking murderous asshole. Priven obviously is creating the narrative for his defense that he is insane and can't be held responsible for the murder. Fuck's sake. I would kick the shit out of him while I was in the cell, no matter how much bigger he was than me. So with his diving knife found to be the murder weapon, witness testimony that Deborah had named Priven as her attacker, his fingerprints everywhere and one of his sandals left behind, Priven is charged with the murder, which is punishable by life in prison or death by hanging. Okay, so Priven is charged with murder and this is where you can really start to get angry. The Peace Corps want to keep this very quiet. No one was allowed to talk about it or write letters home about it. In fact, they initially put out a press release saying that they're looking for a Tongan suspect. The Peace Corps hire a hotshot lawyer from New Zealand Clive Edwards and flew in a psychiatrist from Hawaii to evaluate him. The psychiatrist testified that Priven suffered from a latent paranoid schizophrenia. Tongan prosecutors, well they didn't have enough money to hire their own psychiatrist. Emil said that at one point Priven suggested that he confess near the end of his murder trial. That would lead to an acquittal and then Priven would admit he killed Deborah 
and free Emil, knowing that he would be safe from prosecution because of double jeopardy laws. Well, the jury found Priven not guilty because he was insane at the time when he did the act, after deliberating for a whole 26 minutes. The Tongans not having money for a rebuttal certainly helped Priven's cause. All Priven's defence was funded by the Peace Corps. They should have distanced themselves from him and let him hang. Under an agreement with the US State Department officials, Priven was to be committed to a mental hospital in the United States. But after two days in a Washington DC hospital, Priven checked out, received a routine discharge from the Peace Corps and returned to Brooklyn where he worked for the federal government retiring in 2003. So during his stay in the Washington hospital, Priven was examined by another psychiatrist who found there was no reason to believe he suffered from schizophrenia. So he just walked out a free man. I mean, what the fucking fuck. Now, there is a 1994 law which allows federal prosecutors to file charges against a US citizen who has killed another US citizen overseas. But the law was not in effect when Deborah was murdered. Now, Congress could amend the 1994 law to make it retroactive, but the law also said such federal prosecutions were prohibited if the accused had already been tried elsewhere. And that's the legal standard known as double jeopardy. They said, it doesn't appear there is any way to amend the law to retroactively impose a penalty in a case already adjudicated. Now, Deborah's mother, Alice, who lives in Tacoma, said she can't understand why Priven remains free. She says, it's like my daughter never existed. I'm still angry. Why aren't other people angry? It's definitely not fair. Now, Alice, I really feel you, bro. This whole thing stinks. At the time of the recruitment of the volunteers, standards had started to slip, as it wasn't the cool thing to do anymore, and they had to lower their standards to fill the vacancies. Along with the tightening of budgets and how many times do I have to talk about money being the cause of tragedy. So with the tightening of budgets, the testing was not as rigorous. Then when Deborah felt threatened and wanted a transfer to another island, management refused and it was not long after that that she was dead. Deborah's parents had assumed over the years that Priven was in a mental hospital. They didn't know he was free until contacted several years ago by Philip Weiss, the author of a book called American Taboo, which is based on their daughter's death. Makes you mad, doesn't it? Anyway, let's go over this whole case. Deborah Gardner signs up to the Peace Corps to do a great thing for a developing nation. Here, 
There is a narcissistic prick named Dennis Priven, and he preys on her. The Peace Corps do nothing about it. Priven bangs her over the head with a metal pipe, stabs her 22 times until she bleeds to death. He pleads insane, and they get top-notch legal help paid for by the Peace Corps that are already trying to hush the incident up. He gets off with an assurance from the US that he will be locked up in a mental institution when he's deported. Priven goes back to the US and after two days, two days, he's allowed to walk free and there's nothing anyone can do about it. In fact, he gets a government job for the rest of his life. It's hushed up that much that the family of Deborah believe he's still being held in a mental home right up until decades later when they're approached by an author doing research on the incident. I mean, fuck me dead. What the fuck is going on here? Just think about it. You go to work and kill one of your workmates. Do you think your employer is going to pay for your defence? This is just the shit that shouldn't be. Priven, as far as I can tell, is living a quiet life and has, and he's never publicly shown any remorse at all for his actions. He's lived his life without killing anyone else at least, unlike most of the fucktards that get released by pathetic justice systems that go on and on and on, reoffending each time they're released. You know, Priven was good at cards and liked to play the odds. He wasn't a stupid prick. He played everyone, and he won. Okay, Islanders, that's about all I'm going to say about this, unless I find out a bit more or missed a bit, and then I will update during the special edition. Speaking of that, the story last week about the UK double jeopardy laws, well... It was about 12 years old. So no, Ronnie Knight was not retried under the new laws, but it was a great story anyway. As most of you know, this episode and last episode has been brought to you from the Kingdom of Thailand. I've been, enough, uh, I've been lucky enough to combine business with pleasure and have had a few days to relax before back to work Tuesday. So first up, I'd like to thank the new Patreons to the island. Thanks to Beck and Tyler from the Minds of Madness podcast. If you aren't already a subscriber, I I recommend you have a listen to this podcast. It's really going leaps and bounds, and I know they put in a lot of effort in making each episode better and better. It's a must-sub. Thanks to Meg G and Emma C as well for your support. It's so much appreciated, and don't forget, for as little as a dollar each month, you get a weekly rant from me. Stickers will be sent out next week, and other rewards in early September. Beer coolers are in my hot little hands at the moment, and I found some envelopes will, that will get the weight of uh, to under 50 grams for international shipping with one koozie. So... There will be a PayPal donation amount that I will announce in the last week of August so you can grab one. 
PayPal, of course, is cambo at truecrimeisland.com. I have about 100 bottle koozies and 50 can koozies. So get them while they're hot. Next run will be a different design or a different color, whatever. Now I've got the hang of the process. Don't forget to share the whole podcast experience with your friends and family. Help them out if they don't know what what they're doing and make them want to podcast and chill. Don't forget the island website is www.truecrimeisland.com. It's links to all the main social media things and you can download or stream from there. Of course, there's links to iTunes and most podcatcher apps the island is listed on. I think I'm also on Google Play. If someone can check and get back to me, that would be fantastic. Of course, there's Twitter and Facebook. Join the fun and carry on with me and all the other hosts and listeners. Don't forget to email me any story you want to share. I'll make a special episode just for your stories. I'd like like to thank uh, Tara, Tara and Barney from Bloody Murder Podcast for the shout-out the other day. And they are a great bunch of Aussies that have got a great podcast to listen to. For a really good list of podcasts, though, go to the Podcast We Listen To Facebook page as, as they've got a file there that has stacks of great shows on it as I just can't name them all here. Okay, so now I'm in Thailand. Well, I'm in Thailand now. The lovely Katie would like to say hi. Hello, guys. Thank you, Katie. So, I usually forget something, but Deadline has approached. Actually, there is one thing. Gary O'Callaghan passed away this week at aged 83. He was the voice of morning radio in Sydney for decades, and my thoughts and, and the thoughts of all the islanders, I'm sure, go out to Gary's family and friends. So... This has been your host, Cambo, and you've been listening to True Crime Island. And don't forget to delete your browser history. Good night.